Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. In manufacturing, you need to automate intelligently to compete effectively. But not all automation solutions are created equally. AGVs and AMRs driven by Bluebotics Ant technology offer robust, accurate performance and native interoperability. Because your material handling can be smarter. Visit antdriven.com. That's antdriven.com to learn more. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ixion in Heaven by Benjamin Disraeli. Read by Amy Graymore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Part 1. An Errant King. The thunder groaned, the wind howled, and the rain fell in hissing torrents. Impenetrable darkness covered the earth. A blue and forky flash darted a momentary light over the landscape. A Doric temple rose in the center of a small and verdant plain, surrounded on all sides by green and hanging woods. "'Jove is my only friend!' exclaimed a wanderer, as he muffled himself up in his mantle. "'And were it not for the porch of his temple, this night, methinks, would complete the work of my loving wife and my dutiful subjects.' The thunder died away, the wind sank into silence, the rain ceased, and the parting clouds exhibited the glittering crescent of the young moon. A sonorous and majestic voice sounded from the skies. Who art thou that hast no other friend than Jove? One whom all mankind unite in calling a wretch. Art thou a philosopher? If philosophy be endurance, but for the rest, I was sometime a king, and am now a scatterling. How do they call thee? Ixion of Thessaly. Ixion of Thessaly? I thought he was a happy man. I heard that he was just married. Father of gods and men, for I deem thee such. Thessaly is not Olympus. Conjugal felicity is only the portion of the immortals. Hem, what? Was Dia jealous, which is common, or false, which is commoner, or both, which is commonest? It may be neither. We quarrelled about nothing. Where there is little sympathy or too much, the splitting of a straw is plot enough for a domestic charity. I was careless. Her friends stigmatized me as callous. She cold. Her friends styled her magnanimous. Public opinion was all on her side, merely because I did not choose that the world should interfere between me and my wife. Dia took the world's advice upon every point, and the world decided that she always acted rightly. However, life is life, either in a palace or a cave. I am glad you ordered it to leave off thundering. A cool dog is this, and Dia left thee? No, I left her. What, Craven? Well, not exactly. The truth is, tis a long story. 
I was over head and ears in debt. Ah, that accounts for everything. Nothing so harassing as a want of money. But what lucky fellows you mortals are with your post bits. We immortals are deprived of this resource. I was obliged to get up a rebellion against my father, because he kept me so short, and couldn't die. You could have married for money, I did. I had no opportunity. There was so little female society in those days. When I came out, there were no heiresses except the parquet. Confirmed old maids, and no very rich dowager except my grandmother, old Tara. Just the thing, the older the better. However, I married Dia, the daughter of Dionysus, with a prodigious portion. But after the ceremony, the old gentleman would not fulfill his part of the contract without my giving up my stud. Can you conceive anything more unreasonable? I smothered my resentment at the time. For the truth is, my tradesmen all renewed my credit on the strength of the match. And so we went on for very well a year. But at last they began to smell a rat, and grew importunate. I entreated Dia to interfere, but she was a paragon of daughters, and always took the side of her father. If she had only been dutiful to her husband, she would have been a perfect wife. At last, I invited Dionysus to the Larissa races, with the intention of conciliating him. The unprincipled old man bought the horse that I had backed, and by which I intended to have redeemed my fortunes, and he withdrew it. My book was ruined. I dissembled my rage. I dug a pit in our garden and filled it with burning coals. As my father-in-law and myself were taking a stroll after dinner, the worthy Dionysus fell in merely by accident. Dia proclaimed me the murderer of her father, and as a satisfaction to her wounded feelings, earnestly requested her subjects to decapitate her husband. She certainly was the best of daughters. There was no withstanding public opinion, an infuriated rabble, and a magnanimous wife at the same time. They surrounded my palace. I cut my way through the greasy-capped multitude, sword in hand, and gained a neighboring court, where I solicited my brother princes to purify me from the supposed murder. If I had only murdered a subject, they would have supported me against the people. But Dionysus, being a crowned head like themselves, they declared they would not countenance so immoral a being as his son-in-law. And so at length, after much wandering, and shunned by all my species, I am here, Jove in much higher society than I ever expected to mingle. Well, thou art a frank dog, and in a sufficiently severe scrape. The gods must have pity on those for whom men have none. It is evident that earth is too hot for thee at present, so I think thou hadst better come and stay a few weeks with us in heaven. Take my thanks, Hecatombs, great Jove. Thou art indeed a god. I hardly know whether our life will suit you. We dine at sunset, for Apollo is so much engaged that he cannot join us sooner and no dinner goes off well without him. In the morning you are as your own master, and must find amusement where you can. Diana will show you some tolerable sport. Do you shoot? No arrow, sure. Fear not for me. Ajik, Ocus, I am always at home. But how am I to get to you? I will send Mercury. He is the best travelling companion in the world. What ho, my eagle! The clouds joined, and darkness fell again over the earth. So, tread softly. Don't be nervous. Are you sick? A little nausea, tis nothing. The novelty of the motion, the best thing is a beefsteak. We will stop at Taurus and take one. You have been a great traveller, Mercury. I have seen the world. Ah, a wondrous spectacle. I long to travel. The same thing over and over again. Little novelty and much change. I am wearied with exertion, and if I could get a pension would retire. And yet travel brings wisdom. It cures us of cares, seeing much we feel little, and learn how very petty are all those great affairs which cost us such anxiety. I feel that already myself, floating in this blue ether, 
What the devil is my wife to me in her dirty earth? My persecuting enemies seem so many pismires, and as for my debts, which have occasioned me so many brooding moments, honour and infamy, credit and beggary, seem to me alike ridiculous. Your mind is opening, Ixion. You will soon be a man of the world to the left, and keep clear of that star. Who lives there? The fates know, not I. Some low people who are trying to shine into notice. Tis a parvenu planet, and only sprung into space within this century. We do not visit them. Poor devils! I feel hungry. All right, we'll get into heaven by the first dinner bolt. You cannot arrive at a strange house at a better moment. We shall have just time to dress. I wouldn't spoil my appetite by luncheon. Jupiter keeps a capital cook. I've heard of nectar and ambrosia. Oh, nobody touches them. They are regular old-fashioned celestial food, and merely put upon the side-table. Nothing goes down in heaven now but infernal cookery. We took our chef from Proserpine. Were you ever in hell? Several times. Tis the fashion now among the Olympians to pass the winter there. Is this the season in heaven? Yes, you are lucky. Olympus is quite full. It was kind of Jupiter to invite me. Aye, he has his good points, and no doubt he has taken a liking to you, which is all very well. But be upon your guard. He has no heart, and is as capricious as he is tyrannical. Gods cannot be more unkind to me than men have been. All those who have suffered think they have seen the worst. A great mistake. However, you are now on the high road to preferment, so we will not be dull. There are some good fellows enough amongst us. You will like old Neptune. Is he there now? Yes, he generally passes his summer with us. There is little stirring in the ocean at that season. I am anxious to see Mars. Oh, a brute! More a bully than a hero. Not at all in the best set. These mustachioed gentry are by no means the rage at present in Olympus. The women are all literary now, and Minerva has quite eclipsed Venus. Apollo is our hero. You must read his last work. I hate reading. So do I. I have no time, and seldom do anything in that way but glance at a newspaper. Study and action will not combine. I suppose I shall find the goddesses very proud. You will find them as you find women below, of different dispositions with the same object. Venus is a flirt, Minerva is a prude, who fancies she has a correct taste and a strong mind, and Juno a politician. As for the rest, faint heart never won fair lady. Take a friendly hint and do not be alarmed. I fear nothing. My mind mounts with my fortunes. We are above the clouds. They form beneath us a vast and snowy region, dim and irregular, as I have sometimes seen them clustering upon the horizon's ridge at sunset, like a raging sea stilled by some sudden supernatural frost and frozen into form. How bright the air above us, and how delicate its fragrant breath! I scarcely breathe, and yet my pulses beat like my first youth. I hardly feel my being. A splendor falls upon your presence. You seem indeed a god. Am I so glorious? This, this is heaven. The travelers landed on a vast flight of sparkling steps of lapis lazuli. Ascending, they entered beautiful gardens, winding walks that yielded to the feet, and accelerated your passage by their rebounding pressure. Fragrant shrubs, covered with dazzling flowers, the fleeting tints of which changed every moment. Groups of tall trees with strange birds of brilliant and variegated plumage singing and reposing in their sheeny foliage and fountains of perfumes. 
before them rose an illimitable and golden palace with huge spreading domes of pearl and long windows of crystals around the huge portal of ruby was ranged a company of winged genii who smiled on mercury as he passed them with his charge the father of gods and men is dressing said the son of maya i shall attend his toilette and inform him of your arrival these are your rooms dinner will be ready in half an hour i will call for you as i go down you can be formally presented in the evening at that time inspired by liquors and his matchless band of winged instruments you will agree with the world that aegeacus is the most finished god in existence now ixion are you ready even so what says jove he smiled but said nothing he was trying on a new robe by this time he is seated hark the thunder come on they entered a cupolate hall seats of ivory and gold were ranged around the circular table of cedar inlaid with the campaigns against the titans in silver exquisitely worked a nuptial present of vulcan the service of gold plate threw all the ideas of the king of thessaly as to royal magnificence into the darkest shade the enormous plateau represented the constellations ixion viewed the father of gods and men with great interest who however did not notice him he acknowledged the majesty of that countenance whose non-shook olympus majestically robust and luxuriantly lusty his tapering waist was evidently immortal for it defied time and his splendid auburn curls parted on his forehead with celestial precision ascended over cheeks glowing with purple radiancy of perpetual manhood the haughty juno was seated on his left hand and ceres on his right for the rest of the company there was neptune latona minerva and apollo and when mercury and ixion had taken their places one seat was still vacant where is diana inquired jupiter with a frown my sister is hunting said apollo she is always too late for dinner said jupiter no habit is less goddess-like godlike pursuits cannot be expected to induce goddess-like manners said juno with a sneer i have no doubt diana will be here directly said latona mildly jupiter seemed pacified and at that instant the absent guest returned good sport die inquired neptune very fair uncle mamma continued the sister of apollo addressing herself to juno whom she ever thus styled when she wished to conciliate her i've brought you a new peacock juno was fond of pets and was conciliated by the present bacchus made a great noise about his wine mercury said jupiter but i think with little cause what do you think it pleases me but i'm fatigued and then all wine is agreeable you have had a long journey replied the thunderer ixion i'm glad to see you in heaven your majesty arrived to-day inquired minerva to whom the king of thessaly sat next within this hour you must leave off talking of time now said minerva with a severe smile pray is there anything new in greece i have not been at all in society lately no new edition of homer i admire him exceedingly all about greece interests me said apollo who although handsome was a somewhat melancholy lackadaisical-looking personage with his shirt-collar thrown open and his long curls theatrically arranged all about greece interests me i always consider greece my peculiar property my best poems were written at delphi i travelled in greece when i was young i envy mankind indeed said ixion 
Yes, they at least can look forward to a termination of the ennui of existence. But for us celestials there's no prospect. Say what they like, immortality is a bore. You eat nothing, Apollo, said Ceres. No drink, said Neptune. To eat, to drink, what is it but to live? And what is life but death? If death be that which all men deem it, a thing insufferable, and to be shunned, I refresh myself now only with soda-water and biscuits. Ganymede, bring some. Now, although the cuisine of Olympus was considered perfect, the forlorn poet had unfortunately fixed upon the only two articles which were not comprised in its cellar or larder. In heaven there was neither soda-water nor biscuits. A great confusion consequently ensued, but at length the bard, whose love of fame was only equalled by his horror of getting fat, consoled himself with a swan stuffed with truffles, and a bottle of strong Tenedos wine. "'What do you think of Homer?' inquired Minerva of Apollo. "'Is he not delightful?' "'If you think so.' "'Nay, I am desirous of your opinion.' "'Then you should not have given me yours, for your taste is too fine for me to dare to differ with. I have suspected for some time that you are rather a heretic.' "'Why, the truth is,' replied Apollo, playing with his rings, I do not think much of Homer. Homer was not esteemed in his own age, and our contemporaries are generally our best judges. The fact is, there are very few people who are qualified to decide upon matters of taste. A certain set, for certain reasons, resolved to cry up a certain writer, and the great mass soon join in. All is cant, and the present admiration of Homer is not less so. They say I have borrowed a great deal from him. The truth is, I have never read Homer since I was a child, and I thought of him then what I think of him now, a writer of some wild, irregular power, totally deficient in taste. Depend upon it, our contemporaries are our best judges, and his contemporaries decided that Homer was nothing. A great poet cannot be kept down. Look at my case. Marcius said of my first volume that it was pretty good poetry for a god. In an answer I wrote a satire, and flayed Marcius alive. But what is poetry, and what is criticism, and what is life? Air? And what is air? Do you know? I don't. All is mystery, and all is gloom, and ever and anon from out the clouds a star breaks forth and glitters, and that star is poetry. Splendid! exclaimed Minerva. I do not exactly understand you, said Neptune. Have you heard from Proserpine lately? inquired Jupiter of Ceres. Yesterday, said the domestic mother, they talk of soon joining us, but Pluto is at present so busy, owing to the amazing quantity of wars going on right now, that I am almost afraid he will scarcely be able to accompany her. Juno exchanged a telegraphic nod with Ceres. The goddesses rose and retired. Come, old boy, said Jupiter to Ixion, instantly throwing off all his chivalric majesty. I drink your welcome in a magnum of maraschino. Damn your poetry, Apollo and Mercury. Give us one of your good stories. Well, what do you think of him? asked Juno. He appears to have a fine mind, said Minerva. Pah, he has very fine eyes, said Juno. He seems a very nice, quiet young gentleman, said Ceres. I have no doubt he's very amiable, said Latona. He must have felt very strange, said Diana. Hercules arrived with his bride Hebe. Soon after the graces dropped in, the most delightful personages in the world for a soiree, so useful and ready for anything. Afterwards came a few of the muses, Thalia, Melpopene, 
and terpsichore famous for a charade or a proverb jupiter liked to be amused in the evening bacchus also came but finding that the gods had not yet left their wine retired to pay them a visit ganymede announced coffee in the saloon of juno jupiter was in superb good humour he was amused by his mortal guest he had condescended to tell one of his best stories in his best style about leda not too scandalous but gay those were bright days said neptune we can remember said the thunderer with a twinkling eye these youths have fallen upon duller times there are no fine women now ixion i drink to the health of your wife with all my heart and may we never be nearer than we are at present good i faith apollo your arm now for the ladies la 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 the thunderer entered the saloon of juno with that bow which no god could rival all rose and the king of heaven seated himself between ceres and latona the melancholy apollo stood apart and was soon carried off by minerva to an assembly at the house of nemozene mercury chatted with the graces and bacchus with diana the three muses favoured the company with singing and the queen of heaven approached ixion does your majesty dance she haughtily inquired on earth i have a few accomplishments even there and none in heaven you have led a strange life i have heard of your adventures a king who has lost his crown may generally gain at least experience your courage is firm i have felt too much to care for much yesterday i was a vagabond exposed to every pitiless storm and now i am the guest of jove while there is life there is hope and he who laughs at destiny will gain fortune i would go through the past again to enjoy the present and feel that after all i am my wife's debtor since through her conduct i gain gaze upon you no great spectacle if that be all i wish you better fortune i desire no greater you are moderate i am perhaps more unreasonable than you imagine indeed their eyes met the dark orbs of the thessalian did not quail before the flashing vision of the goddess juno grew pale juno turned away ixion in heaven part two others say it was only a cloud a mortal among the gods mercury and ganymede were each lolling on opposite couch in the antechamber of olympus it is wonderful said the son of maya yawning it is incredible rejoined the cup-bearer of jove stretching his legs a miserable mortal exclaimed the god elevating his eyebrows a vile thessalian said the beautiful phrygian shrugging his shoulders not three days back an outcast among his own wretched species and now commanding everybody in heaven he shall not command me though said mercury will he not replied ganymede why what do you think only last night hark here he comes the companions jumped up from their couches a light laugh was heard the cedar portal was flung open and ixion lounged in habited in a loose morning robe and kicking before him one of his slippers ah exclaimed the king of thessaly the very fellows i wanted to see ganymede bring me some nectar and mercury run and tell jove that i shall not dine at home to-day the messenger and the page exchanged looks of indignant consternation well what are you waiting for continued ixion looking round from the mirror in which he was arranging his locks the messenger and the page disappeared so this is heaven exclaimed the husband of dia flinging himself upon one of the couches and a very pleasant place too these worthy immortals required their minds to be opened and i trust i have effectually performed the necessary operation they wanted to keep me down with their dull old-fashioned celestial airs but i fancy i have given them change for their talent to make your way in heaven you must command these exclusives sink under the audacious invention of an aspiring mind jove himself is really a fine old fellow
with some notions, too. I am a prime favorite, and no one is greater authority with the Geicus on all subjects, from the character of the fair sex or the pedigree of a courser, down to the cut of a robe or the flavor of a dish. Thanks, Ganymede, continued the Thessalian, as he took the goblet from his returning attendant. I drink to your bon fortune. Splendid! This nectar makes me feel quite immortal. By the by, I hear sweet sounds. Who is in the hall of music? The goddesses, royal sir, practice a new air of Euterpe. The words of Apollo, tis pretty, and will doubtless be very popular, for it is all about moonlight and the misery of existence. I warn it. You have a taste for poetry yourself? inquired Ganymede. Not the least, replied Ixion. Apollo, continued the heavenly page, is a great genius, though Marcia said he would never be a poet because he was a god and had no heart. But do you think, sir, that a poet does indeed need a heart? I cannot really say. I know my wife always said I had a bad heart and worse head, but what she meant, upon my honor, I never could understand. Minerva will ask you to write in her album. Will she indeed? I am sorry to hear it, for I can scarcely scrawl my signature. I should think that Jove himself cared little for all this nonsense. Jove loves an epigram. He does not esteem Apollo's works at all. Jove is of the classical school, and admires satire, provided there be no allusions to gods and kings. Of course, I quite agree with him. I remember we had a confounded poet at Larissa, who proved my family lived before the deluge, and asked me for a pension. I refused him, and then he wrote an epigram, asserting that I sprang from the veritable stones thrown by Deucalion and Pyrrha at the repeopling of the earth, and retained all the properties of my ancestors. Ha, ha, hark! There's a thunderbolt. I must run to Jove, and I will look in on the musicians. This way, I think. Up the ruby staircase, turn to your... Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Right down the amethyst gallery. Farewell. Goodbye, a lively lad that. The king of Thessaly entered the hall of music with its golden walls and crystal dome. The queen of heaven was reclining in an easy chair, cutting out peacocks and small sheets of notepaper. Minerva was making a pencil observation on a manuscript copy of the song. Apollo listened with deference to her laudatory criticisms. Another divine dame, standing by the side of Euterpe, who was seated by the harp, looked up as Ixion entered. The wild, liquid glance of her soft but radiant countenance denoted the famed goddess of beauty. Juno just acknowledged the entrance of Ixion by a slight and haughty inclination of the head, and then resumed her employment. Minerva asked his opinion of her amendment, of which he greatly approved. Apollo greeted him with a melancholy smile, and congratulated him on being mortal. 
Venus complimented him on his visit to Olympus, and expressed the pleasure that she experienced in making his acquaintance. "'What do you think of heaven?' inquired Venus, in a soft, still voice, and with a smile like summer's lightning. "'I never found it so enchanting as at this moment,' replied Ixion. "'A little dull. For myself, I pass my time chiefly at Nidus. You must come and visit me there. "'Tis the most charming place in the world. "'Tis said, you know, that our opinions are like other people's roses.' We will take care of you if your wife come. No fear of that, she always remains at home and piques herself on her domestic virtues, which means pickling and quarrelling with her husband. Ah, I see you are a droll. Very good indeed. Well, for my part, I like a watering-place existence. Nidus, Empaphis, Cythera. You will usually find me at one of these places. I like the easy distraction of a career without any visible result. At these fascinating spots, your gloomy race, to whom, by the by, I am exceedingly partial, appeared emaciated from the wearing fetters of their regular, dull, orderly, methodical, moral, political, toiling existence. I pride myself upon being the goddess of watering places. You really must pay me a visit, Anitus. Such an invitation requires no repetition. Anitus is your favorite spot? Why, it was so. But of late it has become so inundated with invalid Asiatics and valetudinarian Persians that the simultaneous influx of the handsome heroes who swarm in from the islands to look after their daughters scarcely compensates for the annoying presence of their yellow faces and shaking limbs. No, I think on the whole, Paphos is my favorite. I have heard of its magnificent luxury. Oh, tis lovely, quite my idea of country life. Not a single tree. When Cyprus is very hot, you run to Paphos for a sea breeze, and are sure to meet every one whose presence is in the least desirable. All the boars remain behind, as if by instinct. I remember when we married, we talked of passing the honeymoon at Cythera, but Dia would have her waiting maid in a bandbox stuffed between us and the chariot, so I got sulky after the first stage and returned by myself. You were quite right. I hate bandboxes. They are always in the way. You would have liked Cythera if you had been in the least in love. High rocks and green knolls, bowery woods, winding walks, and delicious sunsets. I haven't been there much of late, continued the goddess, looking somewhat sad and serious. Since, but I will not talk, sentiment to Ixion. Do you think, then, I'm insensible? Yes. Perhaps you are right. We mortals grow callous. So I have heard. How very odd. So saying, the goddess glided away and saluted Mars, who at that moment entered the hall. Ixion was presented to the military hero, who looked fierce and bowed stiffly. The king of Thessaly turned upon his heel. Minerva opened her album, and invited him to inscribe a stanza. "'Goddess of wisdom,' replied the king, "'unless you inspire me, the virgin page must remain pure as thyself. I can scarcely sign a decree. It is Ixion of Thessaly who says this, one who has seen so much, and if I am not mistaken, has felt and thought so much. I can easily conceive why such a mind may desire to veil its movements from the common herd.' But pray, concede to Minerva the gratifying compliment of assuring her that she is the exception for whom the rule has been established. I seem to listen to the inspired music of an oracle. Give me a pen. Here is one plucked from a sacred owl. So I write, there. Will it do? Minerva read the inscription. I have seen the world, and more than the world. I have studied the heart of man, and now I consort with the mortals. The fruit of my tree of knowledge is plucked, and it is this. Adventures are to the adventurous. Written in the album of Minerva by Ixion in heaven. "'Tis brief,' said the goddess, with amusing air, but full of meaning. You have a daring soul and pregnant mind. I have dared much. What I may produce we haven't yet to see. I must to Jove, said Minerva, to counsel. We shall meet again. Farewell, Ixion. Farewell, Glacopis. The king of Thessaly stood away from the remaining guests. 
and leant with folded arms and pensive brow against a wreathed column. Mars listened to Venus with an air of deep devotion. Euterpe played an inspiring accompaniment of their conversation. Queen of Heaven seemed engrossed in the creation of her paper peacocks. Ixion advanced and seated himself on a couch near Juno. His manner was divested of that reckless bearing and careless coolness by which it was in general distinguished. He was perhaps even a little embarrassed. His ready tongue deserted him. At length he spoke. "'Has your majesty ever heard of the peacock of the Queen of Mesopotamia?' "'No,' replied Juno, with stately reserve. And then she added with an air of indifferent curiosity, "'Is it in any way remarkable? Its breast is of silver, its wings of gold, its eyes of carbuncle, its claws of amethyst.' "'And its tail?' eagerly inquired Juno. "'That is a secret,' replied Ixion. "'The tail is the most wonderful part of all. "'Oh, tell me, pray tell me. "'I forget. "'No, no, no, it is impossible,' exclaimed the animated Juno. "'Provoking mortal,' continued the goddess, "'let me entreat you, tell me immediately. "'There is a reason which prevents me. "'What can it be? How very odd! "'What reason can it possibly be?' Now tell me, as a particular, a personal favor, I request you do tell me. What? The tale or the reason? The tale is wonderful, but the reason is much more so. I can only tell one. Now choose. What provoking things these human beings are! The tale is wonderful, but the reason is much more so? Well, then, the reason. No, the tale. Stop. Now, as a particular favor, pray tell me both. What can the tale be made of, and what can the reason be? I'm literally dying of curiosity. Your majesty has cut out that peacock wrong, replied Ixion. It is more like one of Minerva's owls. Who cares about paper peacocks when the queen of Mesopotamia has got such a miracle, exclaimed Juno, and she tore the labors of the morning to pieces and threw away the fragments with vexation. Now tell me instantly, if you have the slightest regard for me, tell me instantly, what was the tale made of? And do you not wish to hear the reason? that afterwards now i am all ears at this moment ganymede entered and whispered the goddess who rose in evident vexation and retired to the presence of jove the king of thessaly quitted the hall of music moody yet not uninfluenced by a degree of wild excitement he wandered forth into the gardens of olympus he came to a beautiful green retreat surrounded by enormous cedars so vast that it seemed they must have been coeval with the creation so fresh and brilliant you would have deemed them wet with dew of their first spring the turf softer than down in exhaling as you pressed it in exquisite perfume invited him to recline himself upon this natural couch he threw himself upon the aromatic herbage and leaning on his arm fell into a deep reverie hours flew away the sunshiny glades that opened in the distance had softened into shade ixion how do you do inquired a voice wild sweet thrilling as a bird the king of Thessaly started and looked up, with the distracted air of a man roused from a dream, or from complacent meditation over some strange sweet secret. His cheek was flushed, his dark eyes flashed fire, his brow trembled, his disheveled hair played in the fitful breeze. The king of Thessaly looked up and beheld a most beautiful youth. Apparently he had attained about the age of puberty. His stature, however, was rather tall for his age but exquisitely moulded and proportioned. Very fair, his somewhat round cheeks were tinted with a rich but delicate glow, like the stars of twilight, and lighted by dimples that twinkled like stars. His large and deep blue eyes sparkled with exultation, and an air of ill-suppressed mockery quivered round his pouting lips. His light auburn hair, 
braided off his white forehead, clustered in massy curls on each side of his face, and fell in sunny torrents down his neck. And from the back of the beautiful youth there fluttered forth two wings, the tremulous plumage of which seemed to have been bathed in a sunset. So various, so radiant, and so novel were its shifting and wondrous tints, purple and crimson and gold, streaks of azure, dashes of orange and glossy black, now a single feather whiter than light and sparkling like the frost, stars of emerald and carbuncle, and then the prismatic blaze of an enormous brilliant quiver hung at the side of the beautiful youth, and he linked upon a bow. O oh God, for God thou must be! at length exclaimed Ixion. Do I behold the bright divinity of love? I am indeed Cupid, replied the youth, and am curious to know what Ixion is thinking about. Thought is often bolder than speech, oracular though immortal. You need not be afraid to trust me. My aid I am sure you must need. Whoever was found in a reverie on the green turf, under the shade of spreading trees, without requiring the assistance of Cupid, come, be frank, who is the heroine? Some love-sick nymph deserted on the far earth? Or worse, some treacherous mistress, whose frailty is more easily forgotten than her charms. Tis a miserable situation, no doubt. It cannot be your wife. Assuredly not, replied Ixion with energy. Another man's? No. What? An obdurate maiden? Ixion shook his head. It must be a widow, then, continued Cupid. Who ever heard before of such a piece of work about a widow? Have pity upon me, dread Cupid, exclaimed the king of Thessaly, rising suddenly from the ground and falling on his knee before the god, thou art the universal friend of man, and all the nations alike throw their incense on thy altars. Thy divine discrimination has not deceived these. I am in love, desperately, madly, fatally enamored. The object of my passion is neither my own wife nor another man's. In spite of all they have said and sworn, I am a moral member of society. She is neither a maid nor a widow. She is... What? What? exclaimed the impatient deity. A goddess, replied the king. Woo! whistled Cupid. What? Has my mischievous mother been indulging you with an innocent flirtation? Yes, but it produced no effect upon me. You have a stout heart, then. Perhaps you have been reading poetry with Minerva and are caught in one of her platonic man-traps. She set one, but I broke away. You have a stout leg, then. But where are you? Where are you? Is it Hebe? It can hardly be Diana, she's so cold. Is it a muse, or is it one of the graces? Ixie again shook his head. Come, my dear fellow, said Cupid, quite in a confidential tone. You've told enough to make further reserve mere affectation. Ease your heart at once, and if I can assist you, depend upon my exertions. Beneficent God, exclaimed Ixion, if I ever return to Larissa, the brightest temple in Greece shall hail thee for its inspiring deity. I address thee with all the confiding frankness of a devoted votary. Know, then, the heroine of my reverie was no less personage than the queen of heaven herself. Juno, by all that is sacred, shouted Cupid. I am here, responded the voice of majestic melody. The stately form of the queen of heaven advanced from a neighboring bower. Ixion stood with his eyes fixed upon the ground, with a throbbing heart and burning cheeks. Juno stood motionless, pale, and astounded. The god of love burst into excessive laughter. A pretty pair, he exclaimed, fluttering between them both and laughing in their faces. Truly a pretty pair. Well, I see I am in your way. Good-bye. And so saying, the god pulled a couple of arrows from his quiver, and with the rapidity of lightning shot one in the respective breasts of the queen of heaven and the king of Thessaly. 
the amethystine twilight of olympus died away the stars blazed with the tints of every hue ixion and juno returned to the palace she leant upon his arm her eyes were fixed upon the ground they were in sight of the gorgeous pile and yet she had not spoken ixion too was silent and gazed with abstraction upon the glowing sky suddenly when within a hundred yards of the portal juno stopped and looking up into the face of ixion with an irresistible smile she said i am sure you cannot now refuse to tell me what the queen of mesopotamia's peacock tail was made of it is impossible now said ixion know then beautiful goddess that the tail of the queen of mesopotamia's peacock was made of some plumage she had stolen from the wings of cupid and what was the reason that prevented you from telling me before because beautiful juno i am the most discreet of men and respect the secret of a lady however trifling i am glad to hear that replied juno and they re-entered the palace mercury met juno and ixion in the gallery leading to the grand banqueting hall i was looking for you said the god shaking his head jove is in a sublime rage dinner has been ready this hour the king of thessaly and the queen of heaven exchanged a glance and entered the saloon jove looked up with a brow of thunder but did not condescend to send forth a single flash of anger jove looked up and jove looked down all olympus trembled as the father of the gods and men resumed his soup the rest of the guests seemed nervous and reserved except cupid who said immediately to juno your majesty's been detained i fell asleep in a bower reading apollo's last poem replied juno i am lucky however in finding a companion in my negligence ixion where have you been take a glass of nectar juno said cupid with eyes twinkling with mischief and perhaps ixion will join us this was the most solemn banquet ever celebrated in olympus every one seemed out of humour or out of spirits jupiter spoke only in monosyllables of suppressed rage that sounded like distant thunder apollo whispered to minerva mercury never opened his lips but occasionally exchanged significant glances with ganymede mars compensated by his attentions to venus for his want of conversation cupid employed himself in asking disagreeable questions at length the goddesses retired mercury exerted himself to amuse jove but the thunderer scarcely deigned to smile at his best stories mars picked his teeth apollo played with his rings ixion was buried in a profound reverie it was a glad relief to all when ganymede summoned them to the presence of their late companions i've written a comment upon your inscription said minerva to ixion and i'm anxious for your opinion of it i am a wretched critic said the king breaking away from her juno smiled upon him in the distance ixion said venus as he passed by come and talk to me the bold thessalian blushed he stammered out an unmeaning excuse he quitted the astonished but good-natured goddess and seated himself by juno and as he seated himself his moody brow seemed suddenly illumined with brilliant light is it so said venus hm said minerva aha said cupid jupiter played piquette with mercury everything goes wrong to-day said the king of heaven cards wretched and kept waiting for dinner and by a mortal your majesty must not be surprised said the good-natured mercury with whom ixion was no favourite your majesty must not be very much surprised at the conduct of this creature considering what he is and where he is i am only astonished that his head is not much more turned than it appears to be a man a thing made of mud and in heaven only think sire it is not enough to inflame the brain of any child of clay to be sure keeping your majesty from dinner is a little short of celestial high treason i hardly expected that indeed to order me about to treat ganymede as his own lackey and in short to command the whole household 
All this might be expected from such a person, in such a situation, but I confess I did think he had some little respect left for your majesty. And he does order you about, eh? inquired Jove. I have the spades. Oh, tis quite ludicrous, responded the son of Maya. Your majesty would not expect from me the offices that this upstart daily requires. Eternal destiny, is it possible? That is my trick in Ganymede, too. Oh, quite shocking, I assure you, sire, said the beautiful cup-bearer, leaning over the chair of Jove with all the easy insolence of a privileged favorite. Really, sire, if Ixion is to go on in the way he does, either he or I must quit. Is it possible, exclaimed Jupiter, but I can believe anything of a man who keeps me waiting for dinner. Two and three make five. It is Juno that encourages him so, said Ganymede. Does she encourage him? inquired Jove. Everybody notices it, protested Ganymede. It is indeed a little notice, observed Mercury. What business has such a fellow to speak to Juno? exclaimed Jove. A mere mortal, a mere miserable mortal. You have the point. How I have been deceived in this fellow. Who ever could have supposed that, after all my generosity to him, he would ever have kept me waiting for dinner? He was walking with Juno, said Ganymede. It was all a sham about their having met by accident. Cupid saw them. Ha! said Jupiter, turning pale. You don't say so. Repeaked as I am a god. That is mine. Where is the queen? Talking to Ixion, sire, said Mercury. Oh, I beg your pardon, sire. I did not know you meant the queen of diamonds. Never mind, I am repeaked, and I have been kept waiting for dinner. Accursed be this day. Is Ixion really talking to Juno? We will not endure this. Where is Juno? demanded Jupiter. I am sure I can't say, said Venus with a smile. I am sure I don't know, said Minerva with a sneer. Where is Ixion? said Cupid, laughing outright. Mercury, Ganymede, find the Queen of Heaven instantly, thundered the father of gods and men. The celestial messenger and the heavenly page flew away out of different doors. There was a terrible and immortal silence. Sublime rage lowered on the brow of Jove like a storm upon the mountain top. Minerva seated herself at the card table and played at patience. Venus and Cupid tittered in the background. Shortly returned the envoys, Mercury looking solemn, Ganymede malignant. Well, inquired Jove, and all Olympus trembled at the monosyllable. Mercury shook his head. Her Majesty has been walking on the terrace with the King of Thessaly, replied Ganymede. Where is she now, sir? demanded Jupiter. Mercury shrugged his shoulders. Her Majesty is resting herself in the pavilion of Cupid with the King of Thessaly, replied Ganymede. Confusion! exclaimed the father of gods and men, and he rose and seized a candle from the table, scattering the cards in all the directions. Everyone present, Minerva and Venus, and Mars and Apollo, and Mercury and Ganymede, and the Muses and the Graces, and all the winged genii, each seized a candle, riffling the chandeliers, and each followed Jove. This way, said Mercury, this way, said Ganymede. This way, this way, echoed the celestial crowd. Mischief, cried Cupid, I must save my victims. They were all upon the terrace, father of the gods and men, though both in a passion and a hurry moved with dignity. It was as customary in heaven a clear and starry night, but this eve Diana was indisposed or otherwise engaged, and there was no moonlight. They were in sight of the pavilion. "'What are you?' inquired Cupid of one of the genii, who accidentally extinguished his candle. "'I am a cloud,' answered the winged genius. "'A cloud, just the thing. Now, do me a shrewd turn, and Cupid is ever your debtor. Fly, fly, pretty cloud, and encompass yon pavilion with your form. Away, ask no questions, swift is my word.' "'I declare there's a fog,' said Venus.' an evening mist in heaven said minerva where is nox said jove everything goes wrong who ever heard of a mist in heaven 
"'My candle is out,' said Apollo. "'And mine, too,' said Mars. "'And mine, and mine, and mine,' said Mercury and Ganymede, and the Muses and the Graces. "'All the candles are out,' said Cupid. "'A regular fog. "'I can't even see the pavilion. "'It must be hereabouts, though,' said the god to himself. "'So, so, I should be at home in my own pavilion, "'and am tolerably accustomed to stealing about in the dark. "'There is a step, and here, surely, is the lock. "'The door opens, but the cloud enters before me. "'Juno, Juno,' whispered the god of love. "'We are all here.' Be contented to escape, like many other innocent dames, with your reputation. Only under a cloud, it will soon disperse, and lo, the heaven is clearing. It must have been the heat of our flambeau, said Venus. For see, the mist has vanished. Here's the pavilion. Ganymede ran forward and dashed open the door. Ixion was alone. Seize him, said Jove. Juno was not here, said Mercury, with an air of blended congratulation and disappointment. Never mind, said Jove. Seize him. He kept me waiting for dinner. "'Is this your hospitality, Aegeacus?' exclaimed Ixion, in a tone of bullying innocence. "'I shall defend myself.' "'Seize him, seize him!' exclaimed Jupiter. "'What? Do you all falter? Are you afraid of a mortal?' "'And a Thessalian?' added Ganymede. No one advanced. "'Send for Hercules,' said Jove. "'I will fetch him in an instant,' said Ganymede. "'I protest,' said the king of Thessaly, "'against this violation of the most sacred rites.' "'The marriage tie,' said Mercury. "'The dinner hour,' said Jove. "'It is no use talking about sentiment to Ixion,' said Venus. "'All mortals are callous.' "'Adventures are to the adventurous,' said Minerva. "'Here is Hercules. Seize him,' said Jove. "'Seize that man.' In vain the mortal struggled with the irresistible demigod. "'Shall I fetch your thunderbolt, Jove?' inquired Ganymede. "'Anything short of eternal punishment is unworthy of a god,' answered Jupiter, with great dignity. "'Apollo, bring me a wheel of your chariot.' "'What shall I do to-morrow morning?' inquired the god of light. "'Order an eclipse,' replied Jove. "'Bind the insolent wretch to the wheel. "'Hurl him to Hades. "'Its motion shall be perpetual.' "'What am I to bind him with?' inquired Hercules. "'The girdle of Venus,' replied the thunderer. "'What is all this?' inquired Juno, advancing pale and agitated. "'Come along, you shall see,' answered Jupiter. "'Follow me, follow me.' "'They all followed the leader, all the gods, all the genii. "'In the mist, the brawny husband of Hebe, bearing Ixion aloft, "'bound to the fatal wheel.' They reached the terrace, they descended the sparkling steps of lapis lazuli. Hercules held his burthen on high, ready, at a nod, to plunge the hapless but presumptuous mortal through space into Hades. The heavenly group surrounded him and peeped over the starry abyss. It was a fine moral, and demonstrated the usual infelicity that attends unequal connection. Celestial despots at Ixion, in a moment all sounds were hushed as they listened to the last words of the unrivaled victim. Juno, in despair, leant upon the respective arms of Venus and Minerva. "'Celestial despot,' said Ixion, "'I defy the immortal ingenuity of thy cruelty. My memory must be as eternal as thy torture. That will support me.'" End of Ixion in Heaven by Benjamin Disraeli Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.